Well, welcome to the first of the Airgun Geeks podcast. Are you excited, Adam? Very. Very excited. Wow. Never thought we'd ever get here. But we got to get the legal out of the way first. So all topics talked about on this podcast are solely of our opinion and for entertainment purposes only. So with that being said, Adam, tell me a little bit about you. Well, so I work for one of the largest airgun retailers in the United States. I have been in, or sorry, the, the, I've been in the shooting sports for 30 years. I've been in the shooting industry for 20 years. I've been into air gunning myself for five years and actually only really recently started working for the, one of the largest air gun retailers this past year during the whole 2020, 2020, oh shit, clusterfuck of pandemic. Yeah, I hear you there. By the way, there's that E-tag guy, sorry. Yeah, that's okay. All right, and my, my name is Patrick. Um, I also work for the largest e-commerce distributor in the world, which uh, is rather exciting. Uh, I've been involved in air gunning for about 10 years, messing around, bit of a tinkerer myself, love to shoot, just have tons of fun, and, you know, that being said, I'm a little bit of an accuracy snub and a trigger snub. Um, I just I just love shooting at them. It's, it's fun to just blow that can up or whatever, you know, at different distances. So what do you shoot then, Patrick? Well, what is my favorite air gun? That is, that is hard to tell. Um, well, my, my main gun, um, is actually a FX impact current version with the power plenum in 22, 700 millimeter barrel. Um, but I find myself playing around a lot with the uh, new Air Venturi Avenger in 22. It's just fun, cheap, and surprisingly quite accurate. So that Avenger that you're shooting, have you done anything to change it yet? Nope. Just just uh, just cleaned the barrel, tuned it up a little bit with the regulator, which you could do whatever you want, which is the same thing I did on my Impact, which was amazing in itself. But uh, the, the one thing I will tell you, just to be transparent, do not stick a cleaning rod down the barrel of a 22 Avenger. It, uh, it gets stuck. And uh, now you have a plug barrel forever. You need a new barrel. So uh, there's, there's my first uh, geeky thing to tell you about, you know. What, uh, what's your favorite air gun there, Adam? So my favorite air gun actually is a Daystate Griffin. And anybody out there, you can laugh at me that I don't like a regulated gun, at least as my primary. But I also find I'm shooting the Air Venturi Avenger in 22 all the time. Mostly it's tunable, and the only thing I've done to it is I've put a Donnie FL extension, barrel extension on it for a moderator. And the thing shoots the lights out after tuning it. Yeah, I'd agree with you. That, that, that Donnie adapter changes the things. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. All right. So let's get into the topic of today's podcast, and that is the real cost of air gunning 2021. All right. So we've all started with that fantastic CO2 gun that you find all over the place and is cheap and easy and fairly accurate, but there are issues, pros and cons of that. So let's talk about fill source, Adam. Well, to start with, you'd actually have to have a CO2 cartridge, either 8 gram, 12 gram, 
88 or 90. And I'll be honest, 8 grams getting hard to find. Leland used to make them, and now they're not selling them anymore. So that really leaves you with the Crossman 12 gram or the Umarex 12 gram. And buying in bulk, you can get them down to about 55 to 50 cents a piece. So that gives you anywhere from 40 to 60 shots on your average CO2 pistol or rifle. Now that depends on uh, how warm it is, doesn't it? It does, actually. So anything below 50 degrees, you will see an accuracy, you'll see power, and you'll see a shot count drop. Because CO2 likes to be ran hot. But anything over 50 or anything over 100 degrees, well, you'll also see the same problem. Just pushing too much air too quickly or liquid CO2 too quickly. Hmm. So what would you say is a good average temperature to be at to get a good consistent shot strength? 65 to 75 is what I've seen. Okay. I agree. So um, so what, what would I use a CO2 gun for? So general short distance in-house practice or if you've got a limited space outside, they're relatively quiet. They're inexpensive. Normally not too pellet fussy as long as you keep with lighter pellets, either in 177 or 22. But primarily it's for, you know, having a a powder burning gun equivalent so you can get that feel in your hand. So you've, you're holding that Glock 19 that you personally own. You can get a Glock 19 BB gun. So you can practice holding your gun. You can practice having it in a holster. And you can actually get time on the trigger without spending your 9mm ammo downrange. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it is a perishable skill. I do agree. Absolutely. And they are very realistic. Okay. All right. I, I like you said short distance, like what, 20 yards, 30 yards? What are it's, you thinking? Actually, with a pistol, I'd say like 20, 30 feet. 20, 30 feet for a pistol? What about a rifle? Maybe 20, 25 yards. There's obviously all things being different. There's different rifles out there. Sure. But for the most part, you're looking, you know, 25 yards and less with a rifle, 30 feet and less with a pistol. Okay. Now, does it matter what you pay for the gun? Like the cost? Does that determine the quality of the uh it does. The more realistic that you get with the look and the feel of the gun, the more it costs. So if you can get guns that don't look anything like what you can get at the, you know, your brick and mortar gun store, and they'll be cheaper. The quality will be less. Usually that's either in trigger, feel, function, sometimes how you get the CO2 cartridge actually inside the gun. Usually when you pay more, you're getting a little bit more user-friendly gun. Okay. All right. And for anybody out there that's thinking of the Crossman 2300, I apologize, Jess. That is a fantastic CO2 gun. It looks like nothing like you get at the brick-and-mortar stores. I'd have to agree with you there. All right. So let's talk about, you said shooting inside. So backstops. What what would be a, a good backstop? So actually a great backstop would be to get yourself a large cardboard box, fill it with rubber mulch. Well, sorry. Get yourself a large cardboard box, get carpet inside that cardboard box, fill it with rubber mulch, and then put your targets right on that. The carpet will keep the rubber mulch inside the cardboard box, and that way you can keep shooting, replace your target, because it will stop. I mean, you get into the carpet, you get into the rubber mulch, and your pellet or your BB is not really going anywhere. And with BBs, you do have to worry about ricochets, so shooting into something soft and pliable will stop it from traveling. Oh, that's good to know, good to know. All right, so so the next in line would be the multi-pump that's been around forever. The, so you're talking about the Benjamin 392 and the 397, I take it. Yeah, yeah, the good old uh, the Sheridans and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So fill source is pretty easy on that one. It's pretty self-contained. Um, it's got, uh, of course, your your pump arm. That's generally your handguard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the old 
pump it up 10 times unless you're nine years old and you go 30. Uh, but uh, the key there is, you know, of course, make sure it gets lubed up, you know. Um, and again, that's, you know, 20, 25 yards, depending on the caliber. Um, can shoot inside, outside, whatever. You're not dependent on any anything else. Just, uh, just muscle power, if you would, and making sure you have enough ammo. Um, I don't know. What would you use that one for? So that would, personally, if you have your budget's a little tighter, and I say that meaning you either your budget being your physical muscles, like that's something that you will have to take into consideration on some of these guns. And so if you do have some weakness of muscle, being a multi-pump, you can pump it three times and use it inside the house safely. Or if you have a chipmunk problem, or I should say a pest problem that's legal to use in your area and in your city and your district, obviously, you have to keep to the law. But being able to pump it up more means you can shoot further and have greater control. Or you can pump it up less and use it safely inside a house. And if you do want to use it outside, that box rubber mulch does great. I mean, you can always shoot into that outside as long as you can carry it because it can get heavy. So with the, with the modern uh, multi-pumps, we should have talked about this on the CO2. So let's go back to CO2 real quick. What, okay. what's, what's like the what's like a good cost to start at for a CO2 gun for you know budget but not too budget? We're talking pistols first. Well, if you're looking at that, you're gonna say probably about thirty dollars to get yourself a nice quantity of CO2 that you can use. Look at about a hundred dollars for the handgun. If you're getting a BB, you can get anywhere for six thousand BBs for. 10 bucks. I mean, that's a ballpark. Pellets, they range. You can get 300 for about $5. Obviously, costs may vary up to even the best pellets out there. 500 for 20 bucks. I mean, good luck finding your 22 rimfire for that anymore. Yeah. And it actually should be noted that you shouldn't store CO2 in a gun, rifle, or pistol because liquid CO2, liquid being the enemy of all air guns, will deteriorate the inside of your gun. Rings, seals, they're going to die at some point if you keep liquid CO2 and try to store your gun with a CO2 cartridge in it. I'm glad you brought that up. What's what's the longest I can keep a CO2 cartridge in a gun, and how should I store that gun with the CO2 in it? Should it be like the neck up or down? Does it matter? What, what I don't so it does matter. So you do want to have the neck of the CO2 pointed to the sky. That'll keep all the liquid CO2 as far away from all your shields and everything as possible. I don't ever recommend storing a, a CO2 cartridge inside of a gun, there's just too much chance the gun falls. Sometimes, like on a rifle, you might have to be supporting it on the muzzle. And just think about that. You want your muzzle on the ground where it can get damaged to keep that neck of that CO2 cartridge up. But if you are determined to have a CO2 cartridge in it, I'd say no more than three days. Because you, okay. you do leak CO2. It's just an unfortunate nature of the beast. Now, with CO2, it's also highly recommended to use uh, like Pelgun oil. Or some type of lubricant because CO2 is very, very dry. Yes. So with that being said, um, multi-pumps, again, you don't want to store them with pressure in them. Um, it's a safety issue. It's extra stress on, on oh, the gun itself and that. So it's it's really not recommended there. All right. So then the next style of air gunning is brake barrels, under levers, and side levers. And that's a preference, but the most popular is the brake barrel. 
it's the most popular because it's the most cost effective for entry level. You can get a quality brake barrel for $150 and go up from there. You can get into it at about $100. And that's just for the rifle. Some of those will come with a scope. Scope quality can vary, so your mileage may vary on any of the scopes. But you can get a solid gun for $200 that will work and will do 90% of what you need it to, either in 177 or 22. And the difference there being if you're going to shoot at targets or if you're going to shoot at pests. Yeah, true, true. All right. Well, what would uh, so you say? You said pests. So, like, what would I use a like a, a break barrel for? Like, you're looking at chipmunks, squirrels, rabbits, starlings, sparrows, small birds. So nothing large. I mean, you got to figure your average break barrel is between 16 and 24 foot pounds of energy, and that really dictates what you can do with it and how far you can shoot. I wouldn't personally use a break barrel much past 30, 40 yards. Obviously, there are some guns out there that are silly, ridiculously accurate. And as long as you can hit that one-inch target and put the energy on it, you're great. If you can't, you don't want to wound an animal and have it run off and die in somebody else's yard. Yeah, I'd agree. So what's like the maintenance on that? Mostly, it's actually just keeping, if you need to, keep the barrel clean using a pull-through method. Going from breech to muzzle. Don't ever go muzzle to breech. You don't want to risk damaging your crown. Guns with integrated moderators or suppressors, I'd recommend using a straw. Occasionally using silicone oil on all your seals, the ones that you can see. That just extends the life of your seal, making the gun last longer. But very little maintenance, actually. Okay. And they're... Uh... <clears throat> okay. Right. And just like a multi-pump, I'd recommend never storing it cocked because you're putting wear and tear on your piston, on your seal. Get us spring guns. You can literally wear out that spring, leaving it cocked, which means that next time you go to pull that trigger, it's going to go instead of pop. Yeah, that would be the the spring or the the gas piston system, but we'll talk about gas piston here in a second. But, uh, yeah, yeah, storing it cocked is is never recommended at all, nor is, uh, of course, dry firing is a very key thing because you can end up seriously damaging, you know, damaging the gun. So, uh, like you said, there's spring and then there's Vortex Piston. Well, it's not. Vortex is a brand. It's actually uh-huh. Nitro Piston. Ah, okay. So what that means is you've got an inert gas, nitrogen, inside, a, inside the piston, which is contained. And when you compress it, well, literally you're putting gas under pressure. When you pull the trigger, you're releasing the sear. The piston gets released and it comes forward. The core advantage of that Nitro Piston system or that inert gas system is that you can leave it cocked longer. Longer doesn't mean days. Longer means hours versus, like, the minutes of a spring gun. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So calling it a vortex piston is the common thing that I get on the phones all the time at work. And it's like, that's like saying I need a Kleenex when it's actually a tissue. So uh, it's it's a gas piston system or it's a spring uh, piston system. So, all right. Very good. And that would that would involve the same backstop that we were talking about with CO2 guns, right? Absolutely, because you're really not exceeding, you know, 24 foot-pounds of energy unless you're looking at some of the real high-caliber, real high-power brake barrels like some of the Hatsons. You know, the 155s are notoriously for being extremely powerful. Extremely, in this case, being about 30 foot-pounds of energy. So as long as you keep your distances, you know, sane, I'll use that loosely, 
that rubber mulch box will do a great job of stopping the pellets. It's going to pass through the carpet, and that pellet's going to stay inside the box. Okay. All right. So now, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go on. No, no. I'm going to say on. there is one big con to your brake barrels or your gas piston guns, and that is the amount of cocking effort it takes. So you have a lever arm, your body, versus the length of what you have with either the barrel or the side lever. And so your cocking effort can be between 30 and 50 pounds, which doesn't sound like a lot until you're you know, trying to break that barrel on your, on your hip. And all of a sudden you're realizing like, wow, my shoulder actually does hurt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good, good point. Good point, Adam. All right. So um, some people refer them as fixed barrel guns or side levers or under levers. So let's talk about those. So a side lever and under lever gun, what those really get you is a fixed barrel is inherently more accurate. Because you've got a locking system, it's either a wedge lock or a pin lock, or it's just a friction lock on the brake barrels. And over time, your barrel can droop. It's a common issue. And also, when you have a scope that's fixed to your receiver and your barrel's constantly moving, it's not going to come back to that exact same spot. Exact same spot. Guess what that means? Your accuracy is going to suffer. A fixed barrel is less prone to that. And I say less prone because everything wears over time and it's all made by man. Yeah, that's that, the dreaded POI shift, point of impact. Yeah. Correct. All right. And generally, fixed barrels, under levers, or side levers are generally more money like they, considerably. True. Um, there are a few that aren't. Some of them are no longer manufacturer. A classic one is the CFR. was actually... For the money, a really good fixed barrel, but for every reason it was discontinued. So basically now you have, you know, the Diana 460. This is of, you know, January 2nd, 2021. So God only knows we'll change tomorrow. But you've got the Diana 460. You have the Diana 48. You've got the HW97 and the TX200. Yeah. And oh, for those that don't know, it's the Diana 48 and 460. The Y-Rock from the HW97, and then the Air Arms TX200. Yeah, very good guns. Um, cool. All right. So now the most popular style of air gun that's out there. Well, hold now, on a second. Define popular. Oh, you caught me. All right. Um, probably the most researched, but more expensive higher cost of entry into i would say would be the pcp the pre-charged pneumatic air rifle so this this is a big topic because this is this is the big dogs now this is what gets you the power this is what gets you the accuracy this unfortunately is also what's going to cost you the most amount of money yeah I mean, even entry-level PCP is two to three hundred dollars. A fill solution, which is a high-pressure air pump, hand pump, pardon me, either a scuba tank or an, even an HPA or high-pressure air compressor, they vary from a hundred dollars to a thousand or more. More, yeah. So, let's talk compressors real quick. Compressors in the last, I would say, three to four years. You know, about four years ago, there were like three. It was was, was just crazy. Then the hobby started growing, and I'd say within the last, what, two years? I'd say the last two years you've seen a massive shift into the portable compressors, which, you know, originally they were 
100 pounds, 120 pounds. Then you put the oil in them. Then you get the water in them. And then you can't move them. <laughs> yeah. And they were expensive. Very. And I think what helped change that was um, the hobby changing and people asking more and more, you know, the whole supply and demand. And I think where it started was uh, like with the, the Air Venturi Nomad the, 1. The original Nomad 1, yeah. Yep. Really started off the portable compressors. Yeah, and, that, and back then it was still, you know, like 700 bucks, 800 bucks for that thing. And then um, as, as I think it was about probably next shot show or so, the Nomad 2 came out. Made it in a nice, nice bag, nice all one. Everything's inside, so that twelve volt inverters now inside, and you know it's nice, nice and easy to move around. It's, it's cute if you would, you know. It's a simple little box. Yeah, it's about the size of a shoebox and weighs twenty pounds. And if yeah. you need to, you can run it off of a one ten volt uh, standard wall outlet. Or, like Pat said, if you're out on the streets and I should say out at the range, pardon me, and you've got your car. 12 volt battery you can hook it up to your car and yeah. run it and fill your gun still make sure your car's running yeah that's a key that's, thing um know, otherwise you'll find you'll have a dead battery really quick don't ask yeah. me how i know about that <laughs> yeah and then and then they you know a couple more came out you know you got the the currently the what the benjamin traveler well, version 2 correct two? Yep. you got the traveler gen 2 which um from what i've seen is about the size of your old pc you know desktop tower uh-huh. Weighs 24 pounds, but looks to be as good as a Nomad 2, though, again, your mileage may vary, and it's 50 bucks less, at least yeah. on all your major retailers. Yeah, correct. And correct. then just, actually, did you hear just this year, Umarex came out with the Ready Air. Oh, so that I brings, did hear that. I didn't know that. So, a little bit bigger unit, yet again, but they've got it down to that 500 550 price range, which is more, I'm going to say reasonable, but, you know, more reachable. But uh, I I heard that one require it's oilless, so you don't need to worry about oil or anything. That's what I've heard. So, so hopefully someday I'll get to see one. But then again, you know, even working for one of the largest retailers doesn't mean I get to put my hands on all the products. Uh, yeah, maybe uh, maybe someone to give us one to review sometime. We'll see. Um, all right. So talked about fill sources on those. All right. So. What you got, Adam? Well, I was going to say, do you want to talk about the pros of the PCP rifles? Like, what are what's the real reason you want a PCP rifle? And I'm not saying you, everybody. This is, if it's in your budget, why would you want a pre-charged gun? Well, I want one because they're more accurate. You're telling me a PCP is more accurate than the TX-200? At longer distances, yes, because I can increase or decrease, if you would, the shot charge, the power behind the pellet. Um, of course, that, that does depend on the gun, but a majority of the newer guns, even the uh, Grandpa Marauder, uh, was tunable. You mean the classic gold standard for like the last five years okay we'll call it cla- okay all right words out of my mouth classic gold standard you'll find preferences here between me adam and i uh yes still classic still gold standard um still accurate you know nothing wrong with it it's still one of the cl- the quietest 
I say medium powered PCPs on the market. I'd agree. 28 to 32 foot pounds, and it's still extremely hearing friendly without doing any modification. It's still, I'd say, the gold standard. Yeah. And yes, you will see preferences. Sorry. (laughs) All right. Um, Now, what's the, besides the cost, is there a con to a pre charged gun? Is there a con? I can't think of one right now, personally, but what do you think, Adam? Well, you have to think if it's more powerful and will go further, you would be much more aware of what's beyond your target. Oh, you mean i got to have a firearms mindset now about my what's behind what I'm shooting? Well, quite possibly. I mean, you get into some of these guns that are 50, 60, 80, 90 foot-pounds of energy, and it's easy if you're not shooting into a solid backstop like the rubber mulch box or a cinder block or a piece of slate. Oh, yeah, it'll pass through your target, and it can keep going. I mean, there's some people that are shooting these out to 100, 200 yards. Well, come on, Adam. Is it dangerous at that far for, like, ricochet at a human? Am we going to hurt anyone? Well, it doesn't take much to hurt a person, and you don't want to have to ever think about that. But, yeah, a gun that's 90 foot-pounds at the muzzle at 150 yards could still easily be 60 foot-pounds of energy. And, well, it takes... UK already tells you that 12 foot-pounds of energy will kill a squirrel or a rabbit. So, think about it. Wow. That's two, three hundred yards. You got pretty geeky with that now. Wow. That's, 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 I didn't know that. That's important. That's very important. That's good to know. Good to know, especially for our listeners. So, what, what would I primarily use the PCP for versus others? So, it's a fantastic trainer for rifles. To simulate shooting your powder-burning gun. You know you're not going to get recoil in the same sense, but it's the same holds, the same trigger discipline. You can use the same scopes. Like You don't have to have a special hold literally holding the gun. So it's great for doing small, fine precision work or getting that good training. If you want to practice shooting your Remington 700, but it's really hard to find ammo or get to a range, as long as it's legal in your city or state and you've got the proper backstop, you can absolutely shoot out of your dining room window. So you don't have to travel. You can shoot more often. It's still trigger control, still hold, still looking through a scope or iron sights, whatever you're depending on. And I would say it's considerably cheaper, especially with current day ammo prices or even availability. So, you know, like we keep saying, you know, shooting is a perishable skill. Um, and I've said it many times that if, you can shoot a 22 pellet at 100 yards and do even a, a half dollar circle. That's that that's an accomplishment. Well, think about this. You have an 18 foot pound 177 shooting, let's just say the JSB exact heavy. It's 10.34 grain pellet. The wind drift and drop in MOA. Yeah, I'm, I'm one of those guys. Sorry. I like my MOAs. Give me my minute of angles is comparable to a 308 with 155 grain projectile at 500 yards. The same amount of drift, drop, and dwell time, which is flight and, uh, your travel, your flight time. So you get that same practice. You can shoot 55 yards. I don't want to say just about anywhere, but it's a lot easier to find than trying to find 500, 500 yards for your 308. Hmm. 
Totally agree. Totally, totally agree. Which is why I got into air gunning. Same. You know, plus it's more fun and I can shoot at home. See, I got into it because I was a 308 Palma shooter and trying to find 500 to 1,000 yards is really difficult. And when I finally realized and, you know, got to actually shoot a, comically enough, an Air Force Talon in 22 and saw how accurate it was. I mean, shooting, obviously, I was used to a Benjamin brake barrel and shooting a Talon at 100 yards at a clay pigeon and hitting it time after time and little pieces that were still there going and hitting those. I then took a little bit longer, or I should say a lot longer look and seeing what I could do, what was safe to shoot, what was reasonable, and hence why I found that the 177 was a great trainer for shooting Palma. Sure. All right, so let's talk. I'm brand new. Okay. I called in to this big company you work for. Okay. And I go, I'm new. I want a PCP. What are going to be your questions to me so that we can find out how much money I need to save up for or how much I'm spending? Well, it's, and this is actually, in general, may not even be a PCP question. It's like, what are you shooting at? What are your goals in doing your shooting? How far are you planning on shooting? So if you tell me that you just want to get trigger time and you have a small budget, stick with the CO2. Short distances, mm -hmm. they're safe. Again, rubber mulch is relatively inexpensive and you can use it for just about ever. And you'll have an amazing backstop. If you tell me that you want to you know, do some hunting, well, and you have a smaller budget, and obviously I know the budget question here is kind of coming up first, but a brake barrel is fine if you say you only want to go out to 30 yards. If you tell me that you want to shoot at, you know, one-inch targets at 100 yards, that'd be a significantly different budget and would get you into the PCPs, and you'd be looking at higher-end ones. So it really comes down to how far do you want to shoot, what your purposes for shooting are, and how, and I guess how often you want to shoot, too. Okay. So let's, let me word it this way. Let's say I'm looking for a CO2 gun. And would it be safe to say I don't want to spend over $500? Can I do that? Oh, God, yes. That would be a CO2 gun if you're looking for trigger time and practice. Even some of your most expensive CO2 guns, you're looking at $300. Okay. Plus the cost of CO2, that's easy. You can get a handgun, a good quality handgun, right around $100. Get 40 CO2. I mean, you're looking at $200. Get you the gun oil, if you need it, cleaner, BBs or pellets is needed, and you're well on your way. Getting into brake barrels, you're actually not going to go much more than that if you get into beginner brake barrels. You'll still be in that two, $300 range. Pellets might be more expensive looking at different pellets since there's a little bit less of uh, BB guns that are brake barrels. Not, you know, this is a generality of being like 99%. So you'll look at a little bit more, but even then, that'll still be the same ballpark. It comes down to what are you doing? If you're shooting further or you don't want to be tied to a CO2 source, then, yeah, a good brake barrel. If you're looking for the multi-pump, two, $300, again, you're still in that same ballpark, but it gets you more control, and it's easier to pump. Looking at PCPs, you say you want to shoot, you know, dimes at 50 yards. I'm going to tell you to take a good long look at a PCP and... I mean, when you look at a PCP, you're looking at a hand... The cheapest you can get into it really is for about $600 between a hand pump and an inexpensive gun. And obviously you can get combos out there depending on where you look. Or if you want to shoot 
those 200 yards, you're looking at a thousand plus dollar gun, probably going to get a scuba tank or a compressor for another five, six hundred dollars. So yeah, you could easily get into two thousand dollars after a piece of glass. Sure. So. Okay. All right. So you're saying basically for a beginner PCP, anywhere between eight hundred and a thousand dollars. For a beginner, yeah. yep. And then if you want to get serious about it, you're looking closer to two, three. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it it does depend on on the gun you want, what your budget is, where you would start. Um, all these questions, of course, are and what you want to do with it. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. There, you know, if, if you're not being asked all these questions when you're calling into a retailer, um, these these are the questions that you should be asking them. You know, the uh, the, the big thing I want to talk about is hand pumps. We didn't get on that one, but uh, hand pumps. Uh, I uh, I highly rec- don't recommend them, but they're a good backup. You can pump a three thousand psi gun, okay, depending it, on your health. If I would tell you, if you have a bad back, bad heart, bad lungs, bad knees, bad shoulders, don't hand pump. Yeah, have the it's, neighbors could do it. Yeah, yeah. Get your get your son or your grandson. <laughs> but uh, I mean, if you're in good health and you're physically fit, it's doable. But absolutely small, lower pressure max fill guns, so two thousand to three thousand yeah. with smaller reservoirs. Because even you know, you a three thousand psi gun that has a three hundred cc reservoir, it's still a lot of pumping it's at a the higher pumping. end. Yeah, yeah, you're looking a couple hundred pumps slowly. Can't go fast. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. All right. Well, that's uh, that. That sounds like a good overview of the type of air guns. Do you have anything to add with that, Adam? The only thing I would add is, and this is a huge part of when I ask, ever talk to somebody, it's just, please, it's still, you're discharging something. You need to be safe. They're not toys. These are not the BB guns of your grandfather's anymore. Yeah. Hey, it's your grandpa's BB guns, what I always say. So, all right. Well, with, we were glad that you uh, <clears throat> decided to spend about 30 five minutes with us today on our first podcast i uh, appreciate all of your time um there will be lots and lots of topics and if you want to send any ideas into us you can email us at airguns at gmail.com and we'll look them over and of course uh leave your name we'll be happy to announce uh who uh who sent us these topics and uh We'll uh, also in the future be having guests. Um, who knows where they'll come from? Whether it's this side of the pond, the other side of the pond, don't know. So we're here about having fun, enjoying each other's time. And the big question is, how geeky are we going to get with it? Talk to y'all. Bye. <laughs>